Now again, I can line my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that's what God will do for everyone who is listening to this, tuning in from any part of the world. And those who are present here, God will do that for you again today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The word is going to enter your heart amen. to give you a light. It will give you direction. It will heal you in every area. And it will make you more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus we have prayed. All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of um, John chapter 1. That is where we are going to start from today. The book of John chapter 1. We have been talking about the select ones that God uses. And today we are going to continue from by reading from this book of John chapter 1. I just want to start from verse 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He now said in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, what is that light? Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now please follow this. Who were born not of, the, of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Please, I want you to notice something here. John introduced a particular concept here, which Jesus came to bring to birth in life. He said there are two categories of people. There are those who are born of blood. Please, that's how everybody was born. There are those who are born of blood, and there are those, and those ones, he said they are born of the will of flesh. He now said there are those who are born of God. That is, they are not born of the will of flesh. They are not born of the will of man but they are born of God. Now, please bear this in mind. I want us to read another particular portion of the scriptures, the book of John chapter 3. Again, I'll read from verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Please bear that in mind. And that which is born 
of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He said in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, let me just stop reading these two here. We have many more to read, but I'd just like to stop it here uh, for a moment. You know, what we have been studying is the issue of a closer, a deeper walk with the Lord, in which we will be explaining that God is looking for people who he can walk with, those who will walk with him and produce what he wants to do on the earth. We have been trying to explain that. We have established the fact that, and that's what I'm picking up from today, that this life has different realms. And today we are going to look at two of those realms. There is the realm of the will of man. That realm is the same as the realm of flesh. And Jesus said that that is the realm in which many people walk. He said, but there is another realm. Please bear this in mind. And this realm, he said, is the realm of the spirit. This is the realm in which people are born into when they are born again. Please, it's so important we understand that. Nicodemus came to him and said, how can somebody do all of these things? All right? And he said, it is because the fellow is born again. So he said to Nicodemus, if you want to walk in this particular realm, you must be born again. When you are born again, you are born into another kingdom. When you are born again, you are born into another realm. I explained, all right, over the last few weeks here, teaching on this particular series, that the fact that we all carry flesh does not mean we are operating in the same kingdom. It does not mean we are operating in the same realm. It does not mean that at all. What I want to emphasize is that each person must deliberately determine the realm in which he or she is going to walk, and you have just a choice of two. That is, you are either walking according to the will of man, according to flesh, according to the natural birth, or you are walking according to the will of God, that is being born of God. And those two things are available on this earth today. We've said that you may see people walking around. It does not mean they are all human beings. Angels walk around. I'm so convinced of it. There are people who have neighbors, and the neighbors are not human beings. They are angels. I hope you're getting my point. One day you'll see they packed in, and then one day they will pack out. I'm, I'm not joking about that. I mean it. I'm not trying to be funny. But one that I'm even sure of, which all of us must have encountered once in a while, okay, is the fact that angels wear clothes and they talk to you. The Bible says that many have entertained angels unawares. What I want to emphasize from that again is that the fact that we are living on this earth does not mean we have to operate according to the same principles. Jesus, after resurrection, also appeared as a person and people saw him. So this earth is not limited to the people who are born of flesh alone. Now, but those who have been born again, they are the ones we are talking about. God has created another realm in which they should walk. In that realm, we find the kind of things that Jesus used to operate. The way Jesus lived his life is normal for people in that particular realm. Nicodemus noticed it, so he came to ask questions. And Jesus was saying something here. That you see, anybody that is born naturally, and John explained that one to us also, of course. It was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. That everybody is born naturally. In fact, let me explain it like this. This would be a very beautiful way to, to introduce it. You know, a few days ago, in fact, this one specifically yesterday, I stumbled into a particular, you know, science program, and they were discussing how we make our choices. And I paid attention, not because I wanted to learn something. Not, well, they were not teaching anything particularly new. We've seen these things again and again. But what I, why I paid attention yesterday was because I had this message in my mind. I'll begin my point. So I sat down, I paid attention. And they will show 
that, the, in fact, the one particular illustration they did, beautiful one, was they put a woman there and showed him picture, showed her pictures of each time she look at the screen, there will be two young men pictures of them on the screen. She should choose the one that she finds more attractive. I hope I get my point. Now, before they show her the picture, they first show her an animal. So you could, I can't remember all the animals now, but show her all these cuddly animals, like a cat. You understand my point? Like a, a rabbit, you know? Animals that are peaceful and, and, and nice. And then as soon as she finished saying it, and oh, nice little cat, kitty, kitty cat, doggy, 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 puppy, puppy, puppy. Then they show her the picture. Then she'll see two men. Which one do you find more attractive? She'll pick, let's say, man number two. As soon as she picked number two each time, there were about three different um, encounters. Then they started showing another set of animals. Things like cockroaches, snakes, you know, that's my point. You know, dangerous animals, hideous animals. Of course, most people don't like cockroaches. You put plenty of cockroach in a, in a glass case. You can imagine how she felt. Then they will turn and say, which of these men do you find more attractive? At that point in time, what you will notice is that she used to find, and the same pictures, the same people. All right? Where she, before she would say number two, this time around she would say number one. And consistently she picked one this time around. And the man explaining the principle, you know, was they were dealing with psychology, how the mind works, showed her that, you see, what happened is that this second time we put you in a situation in which you needed protection. You needed, you know, somebody, you needed somebody to defend you. So all those men you did not like before because they were rough. You know, those, you see men with muscles, tattoos, you know, rumpled hair, tough looking. She did not find them attractive initially. But second time around, when she needed, you understand, they were creating a particular scenario. They just show you a snake and say, which of these men do you want? I want the tough one. Or do you get the logic here? Okay? And so they were trying to explain that that's how you make your choices. Your choices are wired, wired in your brain. Basically, it is not you. It's the environment. It's not you. Listen to this. It is the flesh. It is the will of man. I hope you're getting my point here. In fact, there was one I saw some time ago. The man wanted to prove to advertisers that they can be told what they will do. And he brought specialist advertisers down, say, create a particular advertising project for something. But on their way, he gave them a lot of encounters. And by the time they got to his office, he gave them an hour to put their projects together. Without their realizing it, they had put things from those encounters that he engineered. Spontaneous encounter like a child pass, crossing the road with a balloon in his hand, but with a particular picture drawn on the balloon. They didn't, the child would just cross and then the driver would stop so that they would see the balloon for like half a second or two seconds. And they showed that you don't make all these choices. When I saw those things, I saw it again yesterday. I said, this is exactly what Jesus was saying. That there are two realms in this life. This is for those who walk according to what? Flesh. Who are born according to the will of man. Listen to me. When science, science does their statistics, like now, pandemic is going on, how many people will die? Now, I've noticed something. If you are living your life according to the natural realm, if you are living your life according to the flesh, then listen to this. You become a statistic. You become a figure. So if they say 10% will die, then randomly, listen to this, you might die. I hope you follow my point here. For example... If they tell you that you are more likely to prosper if you live in North America. Now, that's one thing Christians must understand. You know, before I used to argue with people a lot. I did not really, I don't do that much anymore, except we are just playing and we are joking. But before, I would have heated arguments with people until I realized that, listen to this. I'm not trying to be pompous. It's a matter of fact I'm a Christian. All right? So there's not, it's just a matter of fact. 
Until I realized that I was seen from a realm, listen to this, that they were not living in. So it wasn't possible for them to see what I was seeing. They will talk about how bleak the environment is, the future for a young person. We were very young those days, you understand? And that they will see that the country you are living in, this one is not there, this one is, and I will be arguing. It's literally, I realized that I was a foolish one. Not as if my points were wrong, but that they were arguing from the realm that they were acquainted with, and I wanted them to argue from a realm that I was acquainted with. Meanwhile, they were not acquainted with that realm. Let me explain what I'm going to say further. There was a time, all right, they came to arrest Elisha, and he was there with a servant. And the servant of the prophet panicked. Why? Because all he could see was a prophet and his servant. Against a battalion of soldiers. Or against a company of soldiers. Prophets are not armed. They don't carry weapons. They are not trained to fight. And we're not talking, this is not Chinese film that you understand. The, the, the Shaolin master, even though he looks quiet, is very dangerous. No, this is not a Chinese film. This is real life. So you don't blame the servant of the prophet from, from, uh, for panicking. But why was this prophet himself not panicking? It is simple. It is the realm he was seeing things from. That's all. So your, your response is natural, depending on the realm you are seeing things from. The fellow seeing things from the... Now, please bear that in mind. There are two realms. The fellow seeing it from the will of flesh must panic. It, look, if you don't panic... It is because something is wrong with your head. If you are living in the natural realm, in which everything is an accident, in which everything is a is happenstance, in which things are happening, you you know the Bible makes some things clear. It's talking about things coming out of the things that do appear. You know that's reading from that Hebrews chapter eleven. I notice something here. It is by faith that we have understanding concerning the real things of life. If we don't have faith. Faith is what helps you move in another realm. If we don't have faith, you, you must be afraid. You know, <laughs> you know, we've had discussions sometimes. You see a man having a decent job, good job, prosperous job, the kind of job people are praying to God, sowing seeds in church to get. His wife having a job like that too. They have like two or three kids, and they are doing okay. Then suddenly they say they packed. And they are traveling somewhere. So what are you going to say? We are going to Canada. They are going to Australia. Going somewhere. And that's okay. What are you going to do when you get there? They have no plans yet. They just want to what? Emigrate. You know, you will sit down and ask yourself, excuse me, is there something I'm missing? I've been to your house. I know the kind of house you own. Do you follow my point? I see the kind of car you drive. I know the amount of resources you have. Please, why are you making this decision? And no matter how much the person tries to explain, you can't get it. I understand why you can't get it. It is simple. You are not operating in the same realm. What is real? Listen. If something is so real to you, I, of course, let, let's talk a bit of psychiatry as an example. There's what we call, you know, delusions. Delusion is when you believe something that's not true. Okay? So somebody can have a paranoid delusion. He just believes that for no reason. These are real stories. He says, my brother wants to kill me. He has no reason to believe. That is, you can't argue. What I mean is that he, he can't prove it to you. But as stupid as he looks, he takes a gun and kills his brother. And when the police says, why did you kill him? He said, he was going to kill me. How do you know? 
This guy has been nice to him. He's been taking care of him. The word I'm telling you, it was a cutlass the man used. His brother went out to go and get something. Someone just told him that your brother is coming to kill you. So he sharpened the cutlass and waited for the man to come back. As soon as the man opened the door, he cut his head. Now, the point I'm making is this. You think he's stupid, right? Because you are normal. But to him, it was not a joke. He was persuaded about what he felt. And he took, listen to this, a right action in self-defense. But it was because he was deluded. We call it delusion. He's persuaded about a lie. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. In the same manner, I, I use that extreme, okay, of somebody that had a mental disturbance. But let's come back to normal life. Many of us make that kind of decision. Maybe less tragic, we're not killing anybody. But we'll put ourselves, ourselves from A to B. And when you tell people why you are doing it, and the others look like, excuse me, are you all right? Why would you do such a thing? It's simple. Because what is real to one is not what is real to the other. Now, let me see, make another point. It doesn't mean that we're just going to choose any realm we like, whether it is true or false. What I want us to know is that some realms are real and some are false. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Anyone who's living according to the flesh, the Bible says from there, it will report corruption. Why? Because the order of the flesh is corruption. What the flesh begets eventually. Now, if you tell somebody that it's possible to live forever with this kind of body, it's like, ah, what do you mean? But that's because the flesh has been programmed for what the Bible calls corruption. Corruption means decay and death. So if you operate your life according to the principles of the flesh, you become a statistic. That's the point I'm going to make. If the economy goes down, you will go down. You see what I'm going, what, what I'm going to get us to understand in a moment. Many times, what people don't realize is that, now, you see, there's something that David said. Let's quickly read this before I go on to what I wanted to say about what people don't realize. Quickly. The book of Psalms, I want to explain something quickly. Psalm 82. Let me just start from verse 5, so as a safe time. He said, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. And all of you are sons of the Most High. Now listen to this. Nevertheless, you will die like men. That is, you are gods. But you are going to die like men because you do not know and you do not understand. And you will fall like any one of the princes. When will this happen? He said in verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth. For it is you who possesses all the nations. Now, let me digress for a moment. Right now, what is going on all over the world is that the Lord is judging the earth. That is a matter of fact. What is going on right now all over the world is that God is judging the earth because he is the one who possesses all the nations. And for a long time, the nations have told him that he did not possess them. So he has a reason to judge the earth. Let me say that again. It is not the devil. It's so important we understand when it is God and when it is not the devil so that when you want to pray, you know what to ask for. If it's the devil, you start fighting. You resist. You rebuke. If it is God, what do you do? You ask for mercy. Please bear that in mind. 
Now, but let me just focus on my this so I don't get carried away. Now, what was um, God saying to us here in this psalm? He said, there are two realms, again, of walking. Like we have been saying, you can walk in the realm in which we say, you are God's. And then you can walk in the realm of mere men. And when God comes to judge the earth, God's who are walking like mere men, what happens to them? They die like men. And they fall like any one of the princes. Now, if you see here, it was a kind of lamentation. It was not supposed to be like that. But what I want to emphasize, like I was saying, is that we must be careful the realm in which we place ourselves. That's what I've been trying to get to in all things I'm trying to explain here. We must be careful the realm that we place ourselves in. Many times when we are making choices, many times when we are making decisions in life, what we are saying, I said something the other day, faith is not what you know intellectually. It's not what is in your mind. It's not the scripture you can quote. Real faith is reflected by the actions you take. What you believe is decided by the actions you take. It is not decided by the scriptures you quote. Whether faith is in your heart or not is not decided by how many scriptures you can recite to us. It is a kind of actions you take as a result. That's why I explain to people that people say to me, I've had an argument even, remember a live radio program, when I said that you are not saved if you are walking in iniquity. That you are not saved. They said you are not saved by works. I did not say you are saved by works. I know the scriptures enough to know that you are saved by faith. By faith we are saved. You understand? They said by grace we have been saved through what? Through faith. I know that for sure. With the heart man believes, resulting in what? Righteousness. I am convinced of it also. However, what I want to say to people again is this. It is not what you say or what you think that determines whether you have faith or you don't have faith. It is what you do. That was why James said, demons also believe, they claim. But is their faith genuine or not? I hope I get my point. That what does it produce? Does it produce kissing the sun? Does it produce departure from iniquity? When it does not produce that, the faith is, is fake. It's not genuine. So it can't save. That was what James meant when he said that if that faith does not have works, can it save anybody? The faith that does not have works cannot save simply because it is not genuine. I hope you're getting my, my point here. It is not as if the faith, it needs something else, it needs works to help it work. No. It is that the genuineness of faith is only expressed by the works it produces. Now, what am I going to say? So what you really believe is decided by what you do, the actions you take. Bear that in mind. Now, this is a problem we have uh, a lot of times as Christians. I said it the other day, that Jesus says something, that he that overcomes, I will grant to sit. Can you remember that? Okay. Now, but we contrasted that with another scripture. That, okay, are you saying now that the people that have not overcome, that is like, it's not every Christian that is seated, because the Bible makes it clear to us that we Christians are seated with Christ. I hope you're getting my point. So we said that, look, what is now the issue? Jesus was talking to a church. He said, if you overcome, I will grant for you to sit with me. Then we are saying that we are all seated in Christ Jesus. I remember the point we made that day. I explained that, listen, if God gives us a promise, even though it looks final, you must understand the way God works. 
He says to Abraham, a father of many nations, I have made you. The man did not have Isaac. Isaac had not yet um, given birth to, has not had the, what's their names? Esau and Jacob. Jacob did not yet have the 12, 12 sons. And God said to him, a father of many nations, I have made you. Now you see this is what happens. When God gives you such a word, he's telling you, this is where we are going. So Paul says, Paul now says to us, seeing that we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of what? All defilement of flesh and spirit. When God gives us words like that, what he's supposed to be doing is to give us guidance, is to give us restriction, because he says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. If we are not restrained, we do not enter into the promises that God has made. Please bear this in mind. So when he says that those who are born again, Paul says something here that I think we should read that. It's very important we read it. The book of Philippians. All right, sorry. I heard there was a technical issue. So, so if you are joining us um, on the web, that means you may miss the things I said the last few minutes. I'll just quickly repeat them for a moment, and then we'll, I will connect with where we are. So what, what I'm just trying to explain, okay, is that if you really have faith, it shows. So the realm I'm walking in is determined by how I behave. And we're explaining that when God gives a word, even though it looks final, you must understand that what is final with God has to be worked out on the earth step by step until it becomes fully real. And that's why Paul says you should work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. That's why we will make it clear to you. And that's why I said we should read this. The book of Philippians chapter 3. Paul said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is not trouble to me, but a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. He said, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He said, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God or who worship God in the spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Then he described how he might have confidence in the flesh. If anybody says should have confidence in the flesh, he has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now, please follow me from this point very carefully. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, please follow this. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's what I'm walking towards. And the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, please, I think where I really wanted is verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal 
for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me just stop reading here. Now, why I read this, took a number of um, verses to get the point out, is that Paul, even though he was the one that taught us many of the things we brandish these days and make it look like we are finally perfect in everything we do, he himself said, I, even though I know these things, I am not claiming to have attained to it yet. Is that not your Bible? He said, I'm not claiming to have attained to it yet. But because I have that thing in front of me, I press on towards a particular goal. Because I have that thing in front of me, I buffet my body. I restrain myself. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. So what God does is to give his people a vision. And he now says, start walking in such a manner that you will attain this. So he said to Abraham, come out from your relatives, your father's house, into a land I'm going to show you. And this is what I'm going to do in your life. A father of many nations, he said to him along the line, I have made you. That was supposed to guide his steps. That was supposed to teach him where to go and where not to go. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. Let me say this. Very important, you know. As you know, all right? Okay. Now we're going to talk about it. So this is my birthday, of course. You all know. And people have been greeting me since morning and all of that. I've received a lot of, you know, calls, text messages and all of that. So I told my wife, I said, listen. We're just discussing it. I said, look at the kind of things that people have been saying. So I thought about it. In fact, I shared with one brother what I called um, reflections on my birthday. So I said, what is life about? Is it about wealth? Is it about fame? Is it about riches? You know, Is it about what people call success? I said, no, that is not what life is about. While meditating, I said, listen, this is what life is about. It is simply about reflecting Christ in such a way that others can become like him. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It is about reflecting Christ in such a way that others might become like him. That people will interact with you and they are closer to Christ Jesus than they ever were before. One of our brothers, those, those early days in the ministry, he was, like I used to say, he was he a was, um, combination of uh, Okemute, Israel, Yinka, Unduka, everybody together, only him. We are going somewhere, he would drive, he would travel with me. He will set up the microphone. He will do the opening prayer. He will do the announcement. You know, we used to travel together. Many of you here, you know him very well. One day I met, he and I went somewhere. So I think that day we're coming from, we traveled. So he, he drove that day. So I had to drop him off at home. It happened that his father and a number of his siblings were in front of the house when we stopped. So they didn't recognize the car, of course. Then he came down. Ah. So this was like, where did this man find this car? <laughs> So, of course, he now told me, that, oh, that's my dad. So I, I, I went down, or I with him, towards the house to go and greet the dad. So he now introduced me to the father and said, oh, this is Pastor Banky, the one I've been telling you about. The man took my hand. Now, to me, it was a fantastic compliment. I never forgot it. He said, ha, ever since your, my son met you, he has become a better Christian. He said, and because he has become a better Christian, in this house, we are all better Christians. That he has brought that influence into the house. And this, you know, this senior man, elderly man, was blessing me that day and was praying for me. But I never forgot that statement. He said, since my son met you, he has become a better Christian. And because of his influence, we are all better Christians in this home. Listen, that's what you should live for. I hope you're getting my point. That is, look, listen, that's what you should live for. That is what God wants our lives to beget. It is not wealth. It's not fame. Fame is madness. Looking for fame, it shows that your head is not correct. 
It's not what people call success. True success is that you, you reflect Christ. Please bear that in mind. That is what true success is. Now, I don't know why I even went into that, uh, that, that side trip. I wanted to explain something here. So you see, Paul explained that this, God has made us something in Christ Jesus. He now said we must work and labor until that thing is real in practical terms. Please, just bear this in mind. I'll connect all of them in a moment. There was something I said to us last time, you know, talking along these lines. That God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden. And he put two trees there. One is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was the tree? one was the tree of life. You will notice something. Both of them, Adam was free to take. Free, what I mean by free, there was no guard, no security, no angel saying, if you touch it, you will die. We know that because the serpent came, deceived Eve. Eve took of one and gave to her husband. And then when God was passing judgment, God said, lest he take of the other one. What does that tell you? He could have taken any one of the two. But something also becomes clear, thinking about it, that it was not yet time to take anyone. I don't know whether I get my point. Either because the time would never come for one, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or because the other one, the time will eventually come, which is the tree of life. Yeah, think about it. Let me give you a second to think about it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was temptation. God left it there to see whether the man would choose to follow God. The tree of life, this is my understanding, was something that he would qualify to take. And listen to this. In whichever state he takes that tree of life, in that state he will live forever. No, that's what God said. If God allowed him to eat of that tree of life, after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will be forever a rebel as far as God is concerned. He will be irredeemable. God will have to cast him, his wife, into outer darkness because they will never have been able to ever relate with God again. So he said, quickly, shield them from eating of the tree of life, lest they live forever. Sorry, is, not, is that not in your Bible? Now, so what is the tree of life there for? I like what Oswald Chambers explained. Oswald Chambers said, listen, that God's plan was that, now listen to this. Remember last time we talked about overcoming. I said, what are we supposed to overcome? The world. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have done what? I have overcome the world. That is, when Satan came to Eve and said, eat, and she ate, and she took to her husband, and well, he was supposed to eat, he could have resisted, which was what Jesus did. Temptation came to him. What did he do? He resisted. And you go and see the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. It parallels what was supposed to have happened in the life of um, Adam. Adam would have gone through that kind of process. I hope you're getting my point. Until, that is like, look at Jesus Christ now. Now, how many temptations was he tempted with? How many? Plenty, thank you. Plenty, it wasn't three. All right? There were three temptations at the beginning. Okay? Which a man like Bollinger believes was repeated identically at another time. 
But we know that all through his life, he was being tempted. Okay? Before those three temptations, are you telling me from being a little boy till he became 30, he was not tempted? He was tempted. But, you know, those three temptations we saw is a summary of all the temptations that we will go through in life. John said there are three things in this world. What are they? The loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he was tempted in those three areas. I hope you're getting my point. Okay. Now, but he kept on being tempted. And the final temptation did not come from outside. Now, this is what I mean. Satan came to him and said, do this, do this. Those ones came essentially from outside. The deepest temptations that he went through came from where? Inside him. He was the one that saw the cross. It was not Satan that came to explain to him that this cross is dangerous. Just follow me and I will spare you from the cross. It was not Satan. At that point, he had overcome Satan completely. But he now had to overcome himself. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Now, listen to this. So you see, throughout his life, things happened again and again. There was a time he was tempted from outside. It's this one, Satan was speaking to him. Come, jump down. Everybody will shout, Babake, for you. You know what I'm saying? Bow to me, I will give you everything. He overcame all of those things. Then there was a time a man came as a... Te- oh, so many temptations in his life. Oh. I just feel like he repeated some of them. There was a time that his relatives called him. They called his mother. And they dragged his mother there and said, Your son has gone mad. Let's go and bring him home. And they said, Your mother and your brethren, in summary, are looking for you. And he said, Who is my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? You see all these people who are paying attention to the word of God. Anybody who follows them and who will obey the word that I'm speaking, the same is my mother, the same is my brother, the same is my sister. Remember that? That was a temptation, to drag him away from the call of God for his life. Do you remember Peter, who said, you will not go to the cross? Was that not a temptation? He said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, he went through all these temptations until the final one, when the cross was right in front of him, and he said, Father, will I say deliver me? No, he said that earlier, John chapter 12. Well, as he divided from this hour, he now prayed. He said, Father, if, any, if there's another way around this cross, I would like it to, be, to pass over me. He said, however, not my will, but your will be done. This is what I'm going to make. That was the final temptation. And if you're going to read what if Paul explained to us in this book of Philippians, he explained clearly there in chapter 2 that he emptied himself, taking the form of a born servant, and made it the likeness of men. He said in verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. What am I going to say? His obedience was not complete until that death on the cross. Remember, I'm trying to parallel this with the life of of, um, who? Adam. Now, that was the kind of thing Adam would have had to pass through. Satan would have come, eat of this tree. He would have rejected it. Another time, something else may have happened. God, listen, you ask yourself, was there sin in the world before Satan came? The answer is, there was no sin. But God allowed Satan. That is sin or no sin, Satan was still allowed to prove a man. I don't know whether I get my point. Basically, let me summarize it so as to save time. What does the Bible say? That Adam would have had to go through Many steps of obedience 
including obedience to the point of death, before he will qualify to eat of that tree of life. Because we can see here, the Bible says concerning Jesus Christ, that therefore God highly exalted him. What God was saying is that Adam will become exactly like Christ Jesus before he earns the right to eat of that tree. And this is the beautiful thing about it. If he had eaten of that tree, then he could not live forever looking like Christ Jesus. But because you know the rest of the story, it did not happen. But why am I talking about it? For us to know the kind of challenge that has been placed in front of us all as believers. I said last time, I talked about overcomers. That each point in your life, what God will be saying to you is that you must overcome. Because each point of overcoming is pushing you towards a particular goal. You know, you see, one mistake we made in our teaching as Christians, as a, a, a word of faith people, was that we presented perfection too early to Christians. Yes, we did. We did. We made the mistake of, I remember those kind of songs we used to say, in fact, we used to say things like, you are righteous like God is righteous. You are holy like God is holy. Because your holiness comes out of God. Listen, <laughs> like one of my friends got angry one day. He said those are potentials. Those are not realities. I look back now. He said this to me almost 30 years ago. I realized the point he was making. Because we're told that I'm righteous just like Jesus. And it sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds very nice. There's only one problem. Righteous like Jesus, you tell lies. Righteous like Jesus, you are covetous. Righteous like Jesus, you don't keep your word. Righteous like Jesus, there are so many kinds of iniquities in your hand. You now, they will not take the gospel to an extent that, listen, it is not my works, it's my faith that matters. Jesus said, look at, look at me and these people. How else will I correct them? Let's not start talking about the discipline of the Lord now. I am not saying I have rejected you. I'm just saying you need to work. Do you know how bad the church in, in some of those churches in Revelation, you know how bad they were? Let me tell you what's going on. Jezebel was there. Cooking up all kinds of doctrines that was causing the men to commit immorality. Yes, what did Jesus say to them? Work on it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He just said, listen, I'm giving you time. I have, I'll give you another time. Work on those things. Correct yourselves. Then when you will have corrected yourself, then you will not sit with me on my throne. Even though you were raised up together with me so you can sit with me on the throne. But please, you need to correct yourselves up to the point where I can now have you sit there in reality. Because let me tell you what it means to sit on his throne. It simply means to wield authority on his behalf. It is the same thing like say that I would, I would confess their name before my father and his only angels. Which means that whatever they say, the father will support it. And Jesus said, I cannot give that kind of power to everybody. Please, I hope I get my point. Don't forget what I'm going to say. So Adam was supposed to work on himself to qualify to eat of that tree of life. Instead of that, what did he do? He decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know the consequences. Now, remember, I began all of this, I'm trying to explain something here. That there are realms we walk in in life. And I'm talking about that realm of the spirit. Walking in it is what I'm talking about. That we don't just say we are walking in the the realm of the kingdom of God just by mouth. I'm saying, just like I've just explained now, 
like Adam was supposed to make choices. And Jesus also, he did exactly the same thing. We itemized a few of his temptations. The one we saw on the cross, in the wilderness. We all know that one. Then we mentioned a few. People trying to take him away from the ministry. People trying to make him do what was not his job. One came and said, hey, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. He said, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? That was a temptation. There was a time they wanted to make him king. That was a temptation. And of course, the last temptation was the one in which he had to face the father all by himself to overcome the desire of his flesh. Not for anything, you know, nice that he was trying to gain, but to avoid the pain. So he made it, making it clear to us, listen to what I want to say. He made it clear to us that to enter into this kingdom, many times you will enter through pain and crucifixion. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So we're talking about walking in the realm. Let, let me get back to it. There are two realms in life. He said, ye are gods. That is the realm that God has called believers to. When Jesus, you know, there's something I say all the time. That Jesus did not die to make you rich. Not because, you know, his death was not necessary to make anybody rich. And that is why till today, the richest men, at least the way the world counts riches, most of them don't claim to be believers. You know that? Africa's richest man goes to Mecca. Who's the world's richest man now? Um, Jeff Bezos. Is he a Christian? I'm not aware. I don't think so. Let's count some of the top five richest men. Bill Gates. Is he a believer in Christ Jesus? I don't. I'm not aware he is. I'm not sure Otega. Is he a believer in Christ Jesus? I seriously doubt. I don't know. I hope I get my point. Carlos Slim. <laughs> now you can keep counting all these men. Of course, Max Gerbeck added to it. Now he's amongst the top richest men in the world and all of that. Most of them did not, did, are not believers in Christ Jesus. Let me just tell you, the Bible says, learn a lesson from the fig tree. You know what Jesus said, was trying to say by that? I did not die to make anybody rich. Materially speaking. That's not why I died. No. Now, listen, I'm not saying that he so condemned every Christian to what we call to material poverty. I didn't say that. I'm just saying the purpose of his death could not have been riches. Because right now, people are producing the riches and they are not acknowledging him at all. Can Jesus make Christians rich? Why are we discussing that? It's an irrelevant point. If an unbeliever can be made rich by him, don't forget. You think anybody in this life can have anything that God doesn't want him to have? You have to still go to God to go and beg. Even if you like, sacrifice your grandfather, your father, yourself, and your son to the devil. If God says no, no is no. This, the one will glorify Satan like uh, he's, a, he's a god in himself. Nonsense. Before he can do anything, he has to go and beg. Beg God. I'm t- unless God has given that one to him, there's nothing he can do. So, so God can make a Christian rich. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying that is not why Jesus died. One thing nobody could do except for the fact that he died and rose again from the dead is to walk in the realm in which he walked in. One thing nobody could do except that he died and rose again from the dead was to enter into the kingdom. What, the one thing nobody could do until he came was to know God the Father. And for information, 
That is what the Bible calls eternal life. Eternal life is in Christ Jesus. You know, let me tell you what eternal life means. Eternal life means life that is eternal. It means life that, and when the Bible uses the word eternal, it talks about the, you know, look at the Bible. Everything has dimensions. There's the depth, the height, the breadth. I hope I get my point of things. There are different dimensions. Eternal life means life in all its dimensions. Material wealth is not even up to life in one dimension. Let me give an example. It can't save the owner's life. All the richest men in, in this world right now, they're all on hibernation because of what? Coronavirus. No matter the amount of money you have, if coronavirus, if God decides coronavirus will kill you, you will die. They will just add your name to the list of those who died. <laughs> that is, material wealth is not even a part of the wealth, the depth of eternal life. Let me explain what I say. That material wealth is too, is too small a thing for God to dwell in the way we dwell on it now as Christians. God doesn't, no, he doesn't think it's that important. That is why with all the revelation that Paul and co had, with Paul had so, listen, I don't know whether I'm getting my point. Paul had so much revelation that Peter wrote that the things that brought understands, some of them are hard to be understood. Paul said, because of the abundance of revelations, there was given to me what a turn in the flesh. Why? Because pride was going to set in. You know, if an average wealth-loving Christian today gets a quarter of that revelation, you'll be producing billions of dollars every day. And you come to church to testify, praise God. And I began to look, and then I declared, <laughs> then there was $2 billion, hallelujah, <laughs> who will follow me today. Paul didn't do that. Do you know why? There's a realm you walk in in life, you understand vanity. Yes, there's a realm you walk in in life, you don't understand what is important and what is not important. That's the point I'm making. Paul said, listen, I've magnified my office. I've located what God wants me to do. That's what I'm doing. Material wealth, material success is not a part of what God has called me to do. What I need to do is see my children become like Christ Jesus. And when he says children, he's talking about uh, Timothy. He's talking about Titus. He's talking about Aristarchus. He's talking about all those people, the fellow and co, that followed him in ministry. After preaching to the church, the Galatian church, and he saw them deviating from the true faith, saw the way he reacted. To him, that was what was important. Please, I'm explaining something here. So Jesus did not die for many of the things that we are pursuing these days. That's not why he died. You know what he died for? I'll tell you. It is simple. It is so that we can step into this eternal kingdom. It is so that we can step into this kingdom in the power of eternal life. That is the goal he has set in front of us. Even though we, have, we are born again, Paul said we still have to press to enter. Paul said we still have to press to enter. Remember I began today by explaining that there are two realms. And along the line, I tried to weave these thoughts into our hearts. That you make up your mind. That's what I'm trying to say in all of these things. The realm you want to walk in. You can walk in, su- in such a way that you are one of the statistics if road safety says 0.1% of those who travel die every year, you can be one of them. Or you can be amongst those who, 
even if they said 99.9% of those who travel that road die, you will say to them, it is forbidden for a prophet to die outside Jerusalem. I hope you are getting my point here. That's what people don't understand. You see, I was telling you earlier, so I saw the psychological and scientific analysis I saw those people doing on attraction. Why you are attracted to these people. So they want to sit you down and say, okay, um, Nduka, this was what you saw in your wife that made you marry her. They want, you know, the angels will sit down and be looking at them and laughing. And say, if you want to know what happened, let me tell you how, why Nduka married who he married. He prayed to God one day and said, God, send the wife you have ordained for me and we brought her and gave that all the story you are telling. He doesn't understand it. Like I said, about one of my friends, one of my friends, a pastor in this town, the wife he married, he never met her until they were married. You know, you know the way Isaac married. You know there was no attraction between Isaac and Rebecca. I hope you are aware of that. He sat in his house. His father said, "Look, there's a covenant. My children must walk in the in the light of that covenant." This Isaac boy, I don't trust him to make this choice. Eliezer, come, go, travel so so and so and so place. Go and bring a wife for him. And Eliezer, how did he find Rebecca? He knelt down and prayed. I said, God, we have come this far. Beyond here, we don't know where we'll go. Please, I know you have shown my master, you know, favor. Your blessing is in his his house. So now, now listen to what Eliezer said. There is a woman you have appointed for my master, my junior, small master. So, please, I want to find that woman. I'm not here to do tumbom tumbom. Or let me just try. Let me interview them. Let me get the scientific analysis of the future of this girl to see whether it blends with that of my master. No. What I just want is simple. Lord, lead me to identify that woman. So he sent Rebecca. The man had, let me put it like this, had received Rebecca before he asked, who's your father? I don't know what I get the point. The family only confirmed to him that this is God's choice. The girl did exactly what he asked God. The point I'm making is this. All these laws of attraction did not bring Rebecca into Isaac's life. Why? Because Isaac's genealogy, Isaac's life was being arranged according to a covenant that he was inheriting with God from his father. And if you're a true believer, listen to me. Even though you saw your wife and you, you toasted her by yourself, it's still God. No, finally, my wife finally agreed at something I've been accusing her of for 20 years. The ninja took her by the hand. An angel said, come, let me introduce you to somebody. Because I was standing my own JJ, talking to people. Then one young woman came up and said, I want to ask you a question. So the angel said, I leave the rest to him. Don't worry. He, he, I know I trust him. <laughs> You can write any book you want on the laws of attraction. Listen to me. I had prayed to God ahead of time that not my will, but his will be done. I hope you are getting my point. It was a prayer we prayed before we met the young woman. So, having watched all the programs about the laws of attraction, I enjoyed the program. I was just laughing. The problem with studying Christians is that they confound all your principles. They spoil all your statistics. Like I say all the time, 
They start, when God will have finished doing what he wants to do in your life, people will now start to, they'll start trying to explain it. This man, I give you as an example. I urge you to know. You can read this book, Mover of Men and Mountains. Even some things I preach, eh? As, because there are some principles of life which we all must know about. For example, I talked about accounting. The Bible says, know the condition of your flock. You know what Haji Lutonu said? He said, if I knew any principle of accounting, I would not have done what I did. I don't know whether you are getting my point. That all the things that I, I did made no sense by the time he learned how to do accounting. That a man can't run business like this. But he ran it like that and he succeeded. Do you, do you get my point? The way they said people should not run businesses, that was how R.G. Lutono ran his business in the early days, and he succeeded. Later on, he looked back and said, my God in heaven. This was foolishness. That is the way by which he succeeded was not common sense. You've read Happiest People on Earth. I talk about the book all the time. Um, what, what's our brother's name? Demo Shakarian. His business was losing money. He started a business and it was losing money on a daily basis. So he went and prayed and said, God, in fact, his father told him that, listen, you continue like this, we'll soon be wiped out. So he went and prayed. And the Lord said to him simply, that was, that was one business I never wanted you to do. So, look, we all can fall for it. What took him there was what? Greed. This will make money. So he went inside there. And he was now losing money on a daily basis. So that within a month or two, he'll be bankrupt. So he said to the Lord, please, I'm sorry. But now that I'm in, you have to get me out. So God said, no problem. I will get you out. <laughs> so what will you do? The Lord told him, sell the business. Ha. He said, who will buy I, I don't know what I get, but who would buy a failing business? What, what happened was the Holy Spirit went and woke one man up. The man woke up at night and had a thought to buy the Moshakarian's milling business. Mill. It was green milling and green speculation and all of that. So the man called Jemma. Jemma said, please, I'm in a crusade. I'll call you back. It took him like three or four days to settle down. He said, I don't understand you. You are losing money on a daily basis. I'm offering to buy your stupid business and you are keeping me waiting. And he said to him, sorry, I'm going about the kingdom business first. I've made a promise to God. That one comes first. So you will have to wait until I'm done with the crusades we are doing. Because these organized programs, you know, crusades, invite preachers, and they had a few weeks going. So this was towards the end. He said, no, I won't cut it short until it's done. Finally, he sat down there. They did negotiations. And the man was looking like, you guys cannot be serious. You're asking for how much? On this kind of business, he put his food down that that's what I'm collecting. So the man said, I'm not doing. So the man left. The man went to police <laughs> said, go and buy the business. Pay whatever they're asking for. One day the man just called, okay, look, I'm going to pay. He said, I just need to be able to sleep. Because not paying you guys, I've not been able to sleep some days properly. Listen, if you see how the business went, it made no sense. You can't learn and do business like that if you come out of Harvard. It's not possible. Listen, this is a problem. You know, I told you once that, look, I've mentioned this a number of times. One of the things I found at the point in time is that, and I think it's iniquity, really. Really, I look down and I think it's iniquity. A lot of times you get to a Christian bookshop, 
You understand? Till now, half of the books that has been sold there are business books. This man's book will even be on their shelf. What is his name? Anthony Robbins. It's a Christian bookshop. So this segment is spiritual. This one is, is motivation and business. They will not sell um, novels, though. That is secular novels. But they will sell secular principles written by Anthony Robbins. I'll tell you the problem. What is happening is that we don't trust enough of divine principles to hold on to it. So we come down to the world because we think they have experience in succeeding materially. We don't realize that God has not called us to succeed materially. He has called us to work in the kingdom. If you work in the kingdom, the way by which we succeed materially, listen to me, periodically we'll be downloading new ideas for the earth to copy. Not we going back to the world to copy their principles. Listen, many of the things that the world is copying today, I hope I'm getting my point, they were released by men, women, who stepped into God's kingdom to best things from there. What am I going to say? Many of the things we learn in life as Christians, it starts to succeed in the flesh. Many of the things we learn is purely how to succeed in the flesh. That's why we will sit down there and people of the flesh will be telling us how to do things. And you know, for a long time, it was hard for me to balance it. It's not realize what is going on. God said, listen, you understand? Listen to what I'm going to say. If the people of the world teach you things, the only thing they can teach you deliberately, because sometimes people can teach you without knowing they are saying some things. What I'm going to say is that, Carfas prophesied not, not knowing. I hope I get my point. But let's talk about what they are doing deliberately. Is to teach you life according to the flesh. All they can teach you is life according to the will of man. Which means when God blows, whatever you learn from them will fail. Listen to me. Many Christian businesses will fail. Not because God is angry with anybody, but because what they were built upon were fleshly things. Listen, if they were built on kingdom, I don't want to say principles. Let me say kingdom life. Yeah, that's a good word. It were built on the life of the kingdom. See, let me say, say something to you. In the midst of Corona pandemic, at the end, the worth of their companies will go up threefold. Everybody has to be folding up. Listen, listen. No, I know what I am telling you. There's a reason why Pharaoh looked at um, Joshua, um, Joseph. Let me say something to you about Joseph. See, this is our Bible. It's very brief. When I say brief, it's condensed. If you take a paper Bible and look at it, it is not... If you take an average good-sized medical textbook, it's bigger than a big Bible. I hope you know that. Your Bible is not big. That's what I'm going to say. But let me say something to you. The Bible is dense. You know what they call density? It's thick. Each page you see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God gives you the idea on how to expand that page, you will write books that will fill this whole building. That, that verse I wanted to say. That verse. You will write books to fill this whole building. And you will not have finished explaining it. What am I saying so? So when you read your Bible, learn to read in between the lines. Learn to you know, open up things that are hidden. Just, that's just an aside. Or that's an aside. You know what I'm talking about. When Pharaoh, let me tell you who Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was a king of those days. 
He had wise men working with him. I hope you get my point. They had wise men. Smart economists were there. People who had done agriculture before Jacob, they were there. Bear that in mind. Now, if you think what got Joseph, his position with Pharaoh was interpretation of dreams, you are mistaken. It was not the interpretation of dream, of those dreams. The only thing that could have gotten for Joseph was released from jail. Do you know what gave him that position? I will tell you. It is simply because after Joseph told them what to happen, it's in your Bible, this one I want to say is in your Bible. He now said, let Pharaoh now do this. Now, if you see at the end of the day, Pharaoh says something to him. Can we find one as discreet as, as, and wise as you are? Now, that statement was not made because he interpreted dreams. Let me tell you something. This is what I think. They have been talking for days. He has brought his economists. He has brought, brought his grain experts. And they have sat down for days say, okay, what do we now do? So initially, Joseph was an onlooker. I don't know whether you're getting my point. No, think about it. This is a small boy that came out of jail. The only thing that brought him to that place was he could interpret the dream. He now gave them a recommendation. Listen, we need to gather grain for seven years. So how do we gather the amount of grain that you're talking about? Where do we store it? So each time they're having meetings, he'll be there. And they will talk and talk and say, man, we can't do any other thing. He will say, excuse me, sir, I have a suggestion. What if we do this, this, and this, and this, and that? Everybody will suddenly get light. Wow. That should be doable. But how will we get this to block? They say, no, we can use tar from this area. We can use straw from here. Wow. These are things they never thought about. Then finally, after days of talking, Pharaoh got frustrated. He said, wait, wait. Why are we here discussing? Why can You are the one that has been solving the problem. We've been having meetings for the last few weeks. And every time you bring the solution, look, from now on, from, don't see, the mistake we make it was from that one day. He sat there, two hours later, he was prime minister. No, no, Pharaoh is not that stupid. You take an untested boy, make him, because he interpreted a dream? Impossible. They had been having meetings for this after a while. He said, look, all these men that they call themselves wise men here. What have they done for me? He said, hey, from now on, Joseph, you chair all the meetings. I hope we are all clear. All of them will say, yes, sir. After a while, he said, come, Joseph. I think let's solve this problem once and for all. Remove the signet ring. Give me your hand. Put it on his hand. From now on, you make all the law. This decision was not made in one day. I hope you're getting my point. That's what I'm going to explain to you. It was not made in one day. In the midst of adversity, God put so much wisdom into Joseph that Pharaoh had to acknowledge. So that when everybody is shouting, there's a casting down. Christians should look and say, God, how are you redistributing wealth? I don't know whether you're getting my point. In the midst of this lockdown, a lot of companies will close. Within a few weeks, Flybe was down, was out. Um, which okay, this one closed before coronavirus took effect. What's the name? This one, uh, Thomas Cook. But they've been closing one after the other. I think Thomas Cook closed before coronavirus came. But airlines are already asking governments for bailout. Government will not bail everybody out. Tourism companies have closed. Some of them will never wake up again. Yes. Listen, anytime you see calamity like this, 
That's what happens. The one we're talking about farming seven years in Egypt. The seven years of abundance, everybody was enjoying. At the end of seven years of, in Egypt, everybody was broke. The only person that was rich was the person Joseph made rich, which was Pharaoh. At the end of the seven years of poverty, of a, a famine in Egypt, Pharaoh owned almost all the land in Egypt. Before that, the land was individually held. When they finished selling their land, then they sold their bodies. So after that, they had to be paying Pharaoh tax on land and, inc- and personal income tax. I don't know whether you get my point. Because you have mortgaged your body to Pharaoh. So when you walk, he takes a portion. That's what the Bible means when it says, whatever is from above, is above all. Why did I talk about that? The wisdom that um, Joseph brought from the place of heaven, from, the ins- from inside the kingdom of God, it was so great, Pharaoh had never seen anything like, the, like, like it. I know the problem. God says, Banky, do you know the problem I have right now? I say, Lord, what, what kind of problem is it? Say, I have much more wisdom than that available. But there's nobody to give it to. Why? Because they are all working according to the flesh. When, um, when Newsweek tells them what to happen, they believe it. And listen, he said, how do you know they believe it? They plot their lives according to what Newsweek said. What would their destiny be like? They take actions based on what was discussed in the beer parlor and written as an editorial in the newspaper. I'm a very interesting human being. I hardly read, read opinions in papers. Hardly do. You know my reason? I can only read your opinion if I know who you are. When they say, Mr. Barigo wrote something, I say, who is it? You don't tell me. I say, why should I read his opinion? And there's so much to that. I just, I bet, leave it. I'm not saying I never read people's opinions, but I have to know who you are. I have to know your insight. If you're a constant grumbler, I don't read what you have to write. I don't bother. Because I already know what you're going to write anyway. You know, last time the president made his speech on the response to the pandemic. And people, I saw an article in one newspaper, the holes in the president's address. My mind, go and fill it. I beg, don't give me the, go and fill the holes. It's not my duty. It's not my business. I'm not going to sit down here analyzing with you the holes in the president's address. My reason is that people who analyze like that, what they're actually doing is they're making predictions. There was a time people told me that they are selling their land in Abuja. Why? Because of the tension in the country. And I remember I told somebody, I said, don't bother. The tension will disappear. That is, remember one of the things I said? That God, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that gave me that to use to pray. It's from Isaiah chapter 44. God was describing himself. That I make wise men look foolish. What that means is that when wise people have predicted, I will bring something out of their lives, out of your life, that will make them look foolish. But God said, I can hardly do that. Why? People take the predictions of the earthly wise and they run with those predictions. Listen, I like this illustration again. I've used it a number of times. Our sister told me from Port Harcourt some time ago, said, hey, that she's about to make some investment in the land. It was going to cost a lot of money. But that time, Port Harcourt was, the river state was tense. So much political fight all kinds of crisis, violence, that she asked herself, is it worth it? 
She asked me on the phone. I said, look, when else I come to town, we'll discuss. So when I went for a program, I called her and said, my sister, I know it's going to cost a lot of money, plenty of it. I said, you want to hear the word of God? She said, yes. I said, the Bible says, sow in the land. It did not make economic sense. I said, but the Bible says what? Sow in the land. Don't listen to the predictions of the people. I said, there's a reason why we Christians will sow in the land. Now, let me say something to you. Money, this money you see, eh? can I say it like this? It's nothing. God can make it disappear. It can make value out of next to nothing. When I say all this, they make about Bitcoin. I didn't know human beings could create money out of nothing. And you say, okay, okay, that's Bitcoin. But you know, something like the dollar is like that too. They call them fiat currencies. America will say that uh, they, are, they, are, they are cushioning this, uh, the economic problems of this pandemic with $2 trillion. And you know, I laugh because all they need to do is print it. All they do is print it. Once they print it, you will see the money, you believe it is money. You will spend it, and guess what? It becomes money. Oh, it's, only, it's not money until they, once they print it, once you receive it and you start spending it, it has become money. Let me not get carried away, explain all of those things. But the point I'm making is that don't be carried away by your naira or dollar. It's nothing. If God breathes on the leaves in front of your house, it becomes money. That's how it is. So don't be carried away. Because I told the sister that day, I said, invest your money. Because it's just something God has given you to do something. So with the material resources God has given you, I said, what you are supposed to do is make a, a spiritual statement. I said, plant it in the land so as to give you a right to get on your knees and tell crisis to stop. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Is it to stand up and say, I pray against crisis in this river state. It will go away. I begin to declare. And we are, God, you'll be looking at it. Be declaring there. You will declare and declare and declare. Then just look at themselves and say, they are not serious. Then one person will take his money. Say, Lord, we want to bless this land. We want to start a business and plant it there. And that person will go to God. If all this, we begin to declare. He won't say that. He'll say, Father, I thank you because you hear me always. See, that money I put there is your money. And I don't want it to be missing. I want it to bear fruit abundantly. For that reason, I say to this Lazarus, come forth. I don't know whether you get my point. Peace will come out of the grave that he buried it in and destroy all the crises in the land. Why? Because somebody planted his seed. Now, do you know the seed I'm talking about now? Please don't, in case you are just joining us, the seed I'm talking about is that the fellow invested his money. I don't mean he gave an offering. You know, when you talk about seed these days, you know, Christians get confused. Now, when that individual, when his or her business will have succeeded exceedingly, they will start writing new laws. One thing people, of course, they will not say he was lucky that two years after he began that business, Peace came into the city. I, I hope you're getting my point. Progress came here, so it allowed his business to blow up. God said, see, that was the method by which I added value to what otherwise should not have had value. If you write that story from the earthly perspective, you will never be able to understand why that individual was lucky. Lucky in quotes. What you will not understand is that this individual operated the principle of the kingdom, did not follow the predictions of the soothsayers. The Bible talks about soothsayers like Philistines, 
following human beings to bring out reasonable projections. Because you know, he didn't do that. What did the fellow do? Took his or her life in their hands and said to God, if I perish, I perish. Because of that, Jesus says, I now introduce them to the Father. I confess them before the Father and before his holy angels. So the next time they said, this crisis is enough. They were not even praying. They were just, can I use the expression, wishing aloud that this crisis is enough. We have to do business in this land. The angels took those words and began to kill troublemakers. Number one troublemaker had a stroke and died. One day they gathered in one boat car. They were all traveling to go and make more trouble. They ran under a truck and they all perished. Then one gave his life to Christ and started going to church. When he saw everybody else was dead, he was dead. The place where they buried weapons, only one man knew it and had the keys. He died. So the weapons are rotting away <laughs> inside the grave somewhere. And peace returned to the land. And this individual doesn't think anything of it. I hope you get my point. This individual does not think anything of it. Just continues living life. And the Bible says he himself does not know how. He can't even remember when he made that declaration. But because Jesus said, I had confessed his name. I had confessed her name before my father and his holy angels. He uttered a simple word and said this crisis is enough. And it ended. Yet people had kept their money somewhere else. And they had been praying. Father, let this crisis cease. When it ceases, we will not invest in the land. Because that principle is, he has his own realm. It's a realm of flesh. It's a realm of what you can see. So it does not beget things that are eternal. So for that reason, you will wait until the crisis comes to an end. Listen to this. Until I get somebody else who can work with me to bring the crisis to an end? What's the point I'm making? I've been trying to get, maybe I'll see, I have to go back to it again. I want to emphasize that we choose the realm we walk in. And we don't choose it by desire. We choose it by sacrifices. We choose it by things like, if I perish, I perish. We choose it by rejecting the projections of those who walk according to the flesh. We choose it that this is the realm we walk in by rejecting, by deliberately refusing to walk according to the natural. We said this about two weeks ago. The problem, however, is that people are generally too tied to that which is natural. For example, the world, this is my best example here. The world teaches us all the, all the time how to save. Truffles is supposed to be a very good discipline. So tell you, take 10% and put it aside. Invest this amount in this. Inve- and you know what? Now, I'm not saying investing money is bad. If you read the stories of Jesus Christ, there's nothing wrong with investing money. You know, it has to be in context. But Jesus turned around and looked. and said, why are you doing it? He said, because of, you, know, you never know what tomorrow will be like. Jesus said, in effect, what you have done is that you have laid up treasure on the earth. You've forgotten that moths destroy and things do break in and steal. Now listen to me. Every time you lay up treasure on the earth because of what tomorrow will bring, 
Jesus said, your money has become another statistic. It is subject to flesh. Anytime I blow upon it, I will not say because it is my son's own or my daughter's own, I will not blow. I will blow equally. Because he that sows to the flesh will from the flesh what? Reap corruption. So what should a Christian do with money? You go and learn the principles of God. He says, make sure you understand that money is always on an assignment. If I give it to you, it's seed for the sower and what? Bread for food. It is never security for tomorrow. So there are times a Christian will make a decision. Like I said to you, it is what you do. It is not what you believe. You think you believe. It is what you do. So there are times, <laughs> I remember my story. The first time I went to the, to the U.S. Embassy, the woman looked at my account balance. I said, it is too low. I said, you asked me whether I earn money from there. I said, yes. And I said, I've spent it. <laughs> she asked me that. Are you not going to save up for your children? I mean, save up for... I said, hey, I feel like you're very funny. Who does that? I'll be... In fact, I just told her it simply. I said, madam, don't worry. I said, look, we can't have this discussion now. Are you giving me American visa or you're not giving me American visa? That is our discussion. As what I have laid up, because to me it was sounded so silly. It has never crossed my mind that you'll be saving up money for your children's future. Listen to me. When you do that, it is not a sin, sin, sin. But every time you think like that, you are withdrawing yourself from the realm that Jesus said you should walk in. Take no thought about tomorrow. Occasionally they say, no, it's not because I, I'm even, it's just that like the money is there. I said, let me just leave it there. God said, no problem. And you know that's very reasonable. You can tell Christians, don't be spendthrift. It's not as if, eh, now I have 10 million naira. I should not spend, they take thought for tomorrow. Every time you'll be changing car, changing phone, changing this, you're careless. What God will just do, will just bring a serious need that you can identify. Say, meet that need. If you say, this is the one I saved up for my children's future, he will not fight you, but he will say, in this area, you are not working in the kingdom. Listen, what am I saying today? I want to begin to close. I want us to understand something. We have to make up our minds the realm we want to walk in. And I'm calling Christians to start walking in the realm in which their lives will not be statistics. In which you don't have to be dodging coronavirus. You know coronavirus has a mind. I hope you know that. Yes, it has a mind. And listen to me, everybody. He knows people. Yeah, he knows people. He knows people not to infect and those to infect. He knows those to kill. Listen, before it left wherever it came from, before God told it, go and prosper in what you are doing. And angel, no, go and read your Bible now. Even when a lying spirit wanted to, uh, God had to tell the, the, the lying spirit, go and prosper. You, oh, you think you can kill people without God saying, go and prosper? If he doesn't, you shoot. You won't have the bullet who just go around and hit you. He said, but I aim like this. One breeze was blowing. A girl carried the bullet, went around. It will hit you from the back. You wouldn't believe it. Before God, the, 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 the virus goes and begins to kill. Listen to what I want to say. An angel will hand it in each area. He will give it a list. These are the people you shall kill. And it can't kill one extra. It can't. Sometimes you say, kill everybody. Mind, there are two ways. Sometimes they give you a list. You tick them off. Sometimes they'll give you a list of who not to touch. You say, oh, have a field day. Kill everybody. But these are the people that have been sighing and groaning because of the iniquity in the land. Don't touch them. 
and don't touch their household. And hey, by the way, that guy, I shall be bringing lists from him regularly. This is the list I have currently. Go. But this guy, this lady, those four people, Jesus has introduced them to the Father. He has confessed their names before the Father and his holy angels. So every time they go down to pray, any name they mention, we will write and send to you not to touch. And in case you're already touching, you shall remove your hand, sanitize the person and go away. Please mark those things that I've said. It's not a lie. That's why when we're we're praying here, I say, mention your friends. If you remember, I used to say it. Mention your relatives. Anywhere in the world. Because if Jesus has confessed your name before the Father and the holy angels, your mentioning somebody's name will take him off the list of those who are destined to die. I'm not explaining something to Christians. To understand that you can live life in such a manner that you're not a statistic. So if they tell you 90% of people die, so that, your own is that it's not like I'm among the 10% that will not die. No, that's, you just say that's their problem. I'm not among the 10% that will not die. I'm not even among the 90% that will die. I'm just not amongst. When you were counting, you were counting people based on chance. And I'm saying that I don't live a life of chance. I don't live a life of chance. Nobody buys that. That's by accident. So if you are counting probability, I say, no, I'm not a probability. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I pray Christians will understand this. The problem, however, like I said, is that we don't, we, we attach ourselves to normal life. We don't understand that Jesus died so as to take us out of normal life. So when they say, ah, I'm looking for work. They say, there are jobs in Lagos. Then you pack and go to Lagos. As if that is where you will find more jobs. You know, I've seen people move to where there are more men so they can find a husband. Yes. You say, why are you not married? Because you are in Enugu. If you, if you move to Lagos, there are many men in Lagos. You find it. What you don't know is that there are many mad people there too. <laughs> you, you, you don't know. There are people who change, they, they change the church they are going to because that church has more singles. If you decide to live your life by probability, you shall get a husband with probability and they usually are useless people. He that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap a corrupt husband. I hope you get my point. Is that not in your Bible? He said, ah, time to marry you. If we get to that church, there are many young ladies there. You join the church. Jesus said, don't worry. So as you are going to that church, go just whistle for two Jezebes. Jeze, Jeze, do you need somebody to destroy? <laughs> Jezebel will say, ah, why not? As soon as I enter the church, Jesus will be there. You're welcome, sir. Come and sit down here. As soon as you see her, you say, ah, this is flesh of my flesh and bones of my bones and death of your death. Just sit down there. What of this is a matter of fact? Why? Because you chose to live a life of chance. It's called a life of the flesh. That's what it is. But the person of faith does not, faith does not reason like that. The person of faith does not reason like that. 
I, okay, I was telling the story about my friend, who was like Isaac when he married. He had never met the woman, never. His friend just called him, are you married? Are you engaged? He said, no. He said, good. I have a wife you should marry. They talked a bit. He said, don't worry, you will like her. He said, okay. I, I'm not joking. And of course, you say, ah, and the lady, too, agreed. She actually, too, initially, did not want to agree. And I think one day she said she dreamt. And the Lord came to her in a dream. And said, eh, you don't want to marry my son. Why not? She woke up and agreed. May God chase a woman for you if you are not married yet. But let me just quickly drop something for you there, just to use as an example. Before God will do that for you, you have to drop all the rubbish doctrines people hold on to. I want to recommend to people again, please download my book, God is a Matchmaker, from our website. It's free. I'm not selling it. It's free. Download it today. And drop every stupid idea. Drop it. You need to drop it. Because those ideas is why God will leave you and say, go and do your thing. You have to drop every stupid idea. I don't have time to talk about that now if I were not talking about marriage. But you just have to drop every stupid idea. When you have dropped it, and listen to me, like I said last time, and you have died, ah, I pray you understand this, you have died in Christ. You have died in Christ. That, Christ, that is, you get to a point in life that you, you look and say, only God can bless me now. I don't know whether you're getting my point. No, think about it, you know. Because I was, I mean, I saw a story, something led to it about the Titanic. Okay. You know, last time we talked about unsinkable Titanic. So imagine this kind of scenario. You're on that Titanic. There's a space for you on the boat as it's about to sink. You know, it gets to a point and the last lifeboat has gone. So that space, you say, enter. You look at some people, say, ah, no. Your spirit just say, no, this guy should go before I do. And they leave. You know, as the boat is going down, it goes to a point you realize that only God can save you now. Let me say this. That's where we need to get to, all of us as believers. You get to a point in life that you say, only God can save you. Many times until he gets to that point, he can't save people. Many times until we get to that point, he can't save. He can't save. We have, when I see Christians arrange their lives sometimes, especially when they say that, hey, I'm going abroad because it's safer. I say, how can you be this stupid? No, there are times you hear so-called Christians talk. They say, you are going abroad, why? Because of prosperity. I say, and you think you will prosper? Then you must be a statistic. A nameless, you know, shepherd working with Job. The day that God wants to tempt Job, you die. I feel like, why don't you put yourself in a place where you say, God, if you don't bless me here, you know, I, I can't prosper. I kept on telling believers, Please understand something. God wants to tell a story with your life. You cannot dare him and tell you he has to tell an average story. You can't. You cannot tell him he must tell an average story. I did well now because I managed and sold my father's land and I went to Harvard. God said, why do you take my glory and give to Harvard? Go and ask the story. Many business people that they study in Harvard, did they come to Harvard? God said, you think I've stopped writing such stories? Let me say to you, if you're a believer, eh, you have to be careful. If you have no business going to learn something specific somewhere, don't think that that you, you went to Harvard is a passport to prosperity. You know, it, one way or the other, God will use you for something. Though. He will use you to explain to people what foolishness is like if you're not careful. He will look and say, I was telling this boy that time, stay here, let me bless you, 
I will increase you. He said, no, if I just get to Harvard now, I'll get a more expensive job or a higher paying job because there's no problem. You will go to Harvard. If I want to do you no favors, that's what I will do. You will go there. You will get your degree. You will get a better paying job. But from now on, all you'll ever have in your life are jobs. You will keep on begging till you retire. I don't know whether I get my point. I won't quarrel with you. But that's what you chose. To be from one job to another. You just realize that till you retire, you're saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, they'll be paying you. That's what you wanted. Then why don't you just settle down? Let me and you discuss. It may take 10 years. Your friends will be running up and that they built out you won't build. Just relax. But at the end of the day, it will get to a point that you'll be making policy decisions. There are stories I'll have told you just that we are streaming these things live. There are people you know, let me just call up some stories. One day one of my friends said, ah, this man, enterprising young man. I said, enterprising young man. Let me tell you his story. When I finished describing what God had done in the man's life, jaw-dropping things. Later on, somebody explained to me how it happened. Because, you know, sometimes you don't understand how something. But later I just started hearing stories. What happened? Where he was, a man just came. I said, I hear you know how to do this. Yes. Oh, yeah? Let's begin to do. It was where he was. The point I've made today is this. Listen. You have to just make up your mind. There's a realm of Christ. That's the realm I've been called to as a believer. Natural people are born of flesh, and everything they do makes sense. They can plot it. But in that same way, they're exposed to the uncertainties of life. But there is a walk in the spirit. There's a walk in the kingdom of God in which we confound the predictions we are the ones that make them wonder that we thought this would work like this, but it did not work like this. They said, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And they said, come and see. And they came and saw Jesus. And as soon as Nathanael saw him, he said, hmm, a true Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. There are things God will bring forth out of your life. People will kneel down and say, my Lord and my God. That only God could have done this. Listen, that was what Nicodemus saw. He says, sir, no one can do these things except God is with him. And Jesus said, to be able to get to that point, you need to be what? Born again. Let's bow down heads and pray.